0: In the book of Ephesians talks about two different mysteries. The mystery of the gospel, which we've just sung about through that song that you had probably never heard before, but which is an awesome song, The Wondrous Mystery. Listen to one of the verses again. It says, Come, behold, the wondrous mystery, slain by death, the God of of life, But no grave could e'er restrain him. Praise the Lord. He is alive. The wondrous mystery of the gospel. And, and, and perhaps you remember what we talked about last week. Um, we want to stand in awe of God, of what he has done and of who he is. And, and I hope that as you sang that song, our wonderful name or the deep, deep love that you're at least awed a little bit by what God has done for you. There's another mystery that uh, the book of Ephesians talks about, um, and it mentions it in Ephesians chapter 5, and that's where we're going to sort of launch our message from. Ephesians chapter 5 verses 31 and 32 says this, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. The mystery of marriage. For those of you who are married, <laughs> you know that it's a mystery. Uh, but Scripture talks about it in terms of of our relationship with Christ, and so it's a great picture of of what marriage really is. Did you know, did you know, Luke, that 37 years ago today, there was a royal wedding that took place? 37 years ago today. Now, you know, just a couple of months ago, we watched a royal wedding unfold right before our eyes. 37 years ago today, a royal wedding took place, um, and it involved two people named Prince Charles and Lady Diana Spencer. That was 37 years ago today. Four days later, no, three days later, there was another royal wedding that took place that you may not be aware of, but it it involved another Prince Charles. Um, It involved Prince Charles and Princess Linda. Now, now, yeah, there we are. There we are. 37 years ago come this Wednesday. Now, Many of you did not know that my first name was Charles, did you? So that's the first surprise. (laughs) That's the first surprise. Um, But 37 years ago, she agreed to be my bride, and it has been an awesome uh, journey that we have experienced over the years, but uh, we're going to talk about the tale of two weddings this morning. Actually, we're going to talk about the tale of three weddings, but we're going to spend most of our time talking about the tale of two weddings. Now, let's do a little bit of marital math here, and let's compare these two different um, weddings that took place 37 years ago in the case of Prince Charles and Prince Di. When you do the marital math, you, you, you take one plus one, and do you know what you get when you add those two up? You get one. You get one. But no, you get two. In their case, you get two. Or, actually, in their case, you get three. Because Princess Diana, when asked about why her marriage failed said said this, said, well, there were really three of us in the marriage, and so it was a bit crowded. And if you know the story, you know Prince Charles loved another woman. And so it was a crowded marriage. And so one plus one equaled two, or in their case it equaled three. In the case of the other royal wedding that took place, and it was a royal wedding, Aya. It was a royal wedding because I and my bride were both children of the king, which made us a prince and a princess, right? So we had a royal wedding as well. And in our case, in our case, when you do the marital math, one plus one equals one. One plus one equals one, even though there was a third party involved in our marriage as well. So really, one plus one plus one equals one. In our case, the third party, the Holy Spirit, strengthened our marriage and made our marriage awesome, made our marriage great, the mystery of marriage. There's been a uh, talk recently um, about an engagement that has recently taken place. Tell me if you know who who these people are right here. Uh, Anybody know who they are? The Beebs, right? Okay. Justin Bieber and Haley Baldwin. All right, recently engaged in a statement not often heard from American celebrities. uh, The Beebs stated his intention Get this. To let Jesus, through his Holy Spirit, guide us in everything we do and every decision that we make. Now, his, his words are good ones. And good words are a great start. But as so many of us have learned over the course of our marriages, good words... And good intentions must turn into healthy marital habits and patterns or else they're just going to ring hollow. This morning I want to talk about marriage. And this, this is a message not just for those of us who are married. This is a message for those of you who are thinking about the possibility of one day being married because I want your marital math to add up correctly. One plus one equals one. If you come up with any other number, then your marriage is in trouble. Your marriage is in trouble. So uh, this is also a uh, message for those of you who who have been married, but perhaps you aren't right now. Um, Some of you have been through Divorce. Some of you have spouses who have died. And I hope that this message will will even encourage you as you wait on God and trust his provision for you. So I I really think that there's something here for everybody, whether you are married or not. And if you are married, I think I'm going to give you some things to think about and some conversations that you're going to be able to have with your own spouses. First of all, let's talk about this. What's the purpose of marriage to begin with? Two purposes of marriage that I'll identify. Uh, One is to meet our need for companionship. Back in Genesis chapter 2, God provided Adam with a helpmate. He provided Eve because as Adam looked over the landscape, he saw that Hippopotamuses, there were two of them, male and female. Elephants, there were two of them, male and female. Tigers, there were two of them, male and female. But there was not anyone for him. And God provided a companion for him. So purpose number one is to meet our need for companionship. Purpose number two, according to the scriptures, purpose for marriage is to point people to Jesus. That is a purpose for marriage. Let me read... These scriptures, again, in Ephesians chapter 5. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife. The two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. The purpose of marriage is to point other people to Jesus. Point other people to Jesus to Jesus. So this verse talks about a one-flesh relationship. It mentions it here that the two shall become one flesh. It's quoting a verse out of the Older Testament uh, where God says that the two, Adam and Eve, would become one flesh. So what does a one-flesh relationship look like? I want to try to define it for you by showing you two verses back in Genesis. All right. If I were to say this, would you be able to tell me what the reference is and where it came from? Yada, yada, yada. Where does that come from? Seinfeld. Okay, some of you guys are old enough to know it. For those of you who are a little bit younger, uh, back in the 1990s, there was this uh, syndicated comedy comedy uh, called Seinfeld, which uh, I I thought was hilarious. Uh, And so, um, but there was a particular show that came on in 1997, um, and the episode was called The Yada Yada. And in that episode, George is talking to Jerry and Elaine about his girlfriend's use of the phrase, yada, 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 and she used it to shorten her stories and to leave out critical Facts. Basically, she was saying, blah, 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 blah. Back in Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. Get this. Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. The scripture says this. And Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived. The Hebrew word for that word knew is the word yada. <laughs> you didn't know that, did you? You didn't know that. Can okay, I listen to this? God's idea of yada in marriage is supposed to be anything but blah blah blah. <laughs> The idea is for you to know your spouse completely and for you to be deeply known by your spouse. It refers to intimacy. It can mean sex, but it goes way beyond that to signify an incredibly deep sense of intimacy and vulnerability and connection between two people. In fact. The word is used over 900 times in the Older Testament, including instances that describe how God yadas us deeply. Here's a couple of verses that you're familiar with. Psalm chapter 46, verse 10 says, Be still and know, yada, be still and know that I am God. Psalm 139, verse 2. 2, O Lord, you have searched me, and you know me. You yada me. You know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. So, so this idea of one flesh relationship has to do with knowing and being known. And then there's a second verse back in Genesis, chapter 2, verse 25, that says this. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. That is a great picture of what a one flesh relationship looks like. When two people can just be themselves in front of each other. They don't have to hide anything. There's the idea of physical nakedness, but there's also the idea of spiritual and emotional and mental nakedness and, as well. And so this whole idea of a one-flesh relationship is just a beautiful picture of what a marriage is supposed to look like. So I want to take a few minutes and just kind of flesh out what a one-flesh relationship looks like in real life. I want to, I'm going to actually use an acronym. So uh, you're going to want to take notes because I promise you this is good stuff. And you're gonna wanna use your notes to have some conversations later on, if you're married and are with your significant others. And we're gonna talk about eight principles of what a one flesh relationship looks like. I'm gonna give you eight questions to think about. I'm gonna give you eight conversations to have, eight things to ponder, and possibly I'm gonna step on at least eight of your toes. All right? The O, one flesh, the O stands for this. Offer yourself first to God. If you want to experience a one flesh relationship, that is where it begins. Offer yourself first of all to God. The priority relationship in your marriage, if you want to experience one fleshness, has to be first of all a relationship with God. Romans chapter 12, verse 1, says this, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, in view of, uh, of everything that God has done for you, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. A one-flesh relationship in marriage starts with offering yourself to God. Paul takes it a little bit more specifically in Romans chapter 6 when he says this. He said, offer not just your bodies to God, but he said, offer the parts of your bodies to God. Offer your hands to God, your eyes to God, your ears to God, your tongue to God. Offer every single part of your body to God. And if you want to experience a one fleshness in a marriage relationship, that's where It has to start by offering yourself first of all to God. He has to be your priority even before your husband, even before your wife. It starts with your relationship with God. So here's my first question To what extent have you surrendered and offered yourself to God to be used for His purposes and His glory? To what extent. Have you fully surrendered and offered yourself to God to be used for His purposes and His glory? I actually want you to give yourself a grade in answering that question. Give yourself a grade. And I'll come back and explain why at the end. Second thing, N. O-N. The N stands for this, nourish your soul On a daily basis. Have you guys ever noticed. That when you are hungry. You get ornery. And ill. Tegan I can tell you're smiling. You you get that way don't you. You're probably hungry right now. Right. And (laughs) when I get hungry. I get ornery. And I get impatient. And I get ill. Uh, listen, it is, the, it is the same way when we have gone without having nourishment for our soul. When your soul has not been nourished, do you know who often takes the brunt of your orneriness? It's your spouse. Because you get ill and you get impatient and you get upset You need to nourish your soul on a daily basis if you want to experience a one fleshness in your marriage. That means going to the Word of God and reading and spending time with Him and pondering what the Scriptures say and letting God feed you so that out of the abundance of what He is doing in your life, you're experiencing Him. And the overflow just becomes what your marriage looks like. Here's the question. To what extent are you being nourished daily by the Word of God? To what extent are you being nourished daily by the Word of God? I don't know what kind of a grade you would give give yourself there. And maybe you haven't been spending any time being nourished by the Word of God. Today is a great day to start. Today is a great day to start. Just open up the scriptures. Maybe you ponder some of the scriptures I'm sharing with you this morning. But today is a great day to start being nourished by the Word of God. And I promise you, it will help you to experience more about what it means to enjoy one fleshness in your marriage. Number three O N E. Exercise good communication habits. All right, if you've been married, you know that the key to a great marriage is just communicating. Communicating about everything. Okay, so here are a few communication tips because sometimes, sometimes we forget. We forget how important communication is. And there's some tips, especially in today's world, that we just need to put into place. Tip number one is this put your cell phone down. Put your cell phone down. You know, here's the deal social media connects us with everybody except for those who are right in our own home. Put your cell phone down and just start talking to each other. Now there's a novel concept, you know, learn to ask questions of each other, have conversations with one another, put your cell phone down. Here's another one, here's another one. You've probably never, ever thought about this. Turn the TV off. Listen, I like to watch TV as much as probably most of you do. But, you know, you got to admit, we watch way too... Just turn the TV off and begin trying to talk to each other. Here's another one, another great tip. Use the dinner table strategically. Use the dinner table strategically. Listen, my wife was a counselor for 14 years over at Carrington. She had all kinds of conversations with students who told them that they never ate supper together. You know, People would grab some food from the refrigerator and kids would go to their bedroom. The parents would be in this part of the house. They would just never eat together. I promise you, if you do nothing else from this message except start having dinner together, that will strengthen your marriage. Use the dinner table strategically. Catch up on each other's day. Ask each other questions. Ask your kids questions. Engage one another in conversation. Use the dinner table strategically. And, and learn how to listen. We've forgotten how to listen, haven't we? Listen, I'm as guilty of this as anybody. You know, my mind is going in a thousand different directions. And there are times when Linda is talking to me and I'm not even listening. I'm thinking about something else. Look, I'm stepping on my own toes here just as much as I'm probably stepping on yours. We need to learn how to listen and we need to just talk about everything. Even the hard subjects. Talk about everything. So here's the question. What grade would you give your communication habits with your spouse or your fiance or your romantic interest? How do you do at communicating? Give yourself a grade between 1 and 10. Number four. O-N-E-F. Fight the enemy, not each other. Fight the enemy, not each other. So here, if you do not already know this, here's something that is true. The enemy of your soul wants to destroy your marriage. Or at least make it an ineffective testimony to the grace and the glory of God. He wants to destroy your marriage. John chapter 10, verse 10 says this, The thief, the evil one, comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But Jesus said this, I came that you might have life and you might have it abundantly. Same is true for your marriage. He wants you to have an abundant marriage. A marriage that is overflowing into the lives of other people. But the enemy wants nothing but to destroy your marriage. So how do you fight the evil one? With the sword of the Spirit. With the Word of God. You've got to know the Word of God if you want to fight the enemy. And if you want to experience one fleshness in marriage... We need to to realize who the real enemy is. It's not the person who is sitting across the table from us at dinner. It is Satan, the evil one. We are in a battle, and he wants nothing more than to destroy your marriage. So here's the question. How equipped are you to fight the enemy when he attacks. And are you even aware that there is a battle going on right inside your house? Are you even aware of it? Give yourself a grade, 1 through 10. Next, L. Learn to love according to Ephesians chapter 5. Learn to love according to Ephesians chapter 5. There's a great passage of Scripture. It's often read at, at wedding ceremonies that talks about how husbands ought to love their wives. And one of the verses says this, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Men, we are instructed to love our wives sacrificially. We are to put their needs ahead of our own, their hopes ahead of our own, their dreams ahead of our own. We are to make sacrifices, and in so doing so, make our wives feel loved. Husbands, love your wives sacrificially. There's another verse in that passage directed to wives. It causes a lot of problems sometimes because people most, most of all, they don't understand the context. They don't understand what it really means when the scripture says, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. That word submit is kind of taking on a dirty word connotation in in our culture today. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. But you know what that word means? Here's what it means. This passage is primarily directed at husbands to sacrificially love their wives. And when husbands are doing what they're supposed to be doing, then it's going to be really, 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 really easy for wives to submit to their husbands as to the Lord. Because submission is a wife's eager response to her husband's sacrificial love. That's what submission is. It's a wife's eager response to her husband's sacrificial love. The burden is on the husbands. Husbands, love your wives. And then it's going to be really easy for wives to do what they're supposed to do according to the Scripture. So here's the question. Men, are you leading your wife and family to know and honor Christ? Are they being Sanctified, growing towards christ likeness because of you. Because of you. Give yourself a grade 1 through 10. All right, the E. Establish purpose driven goals. Establish purpose driven goals. See, a goal is really nothing more than a vision statement for your future. And husbands and wives, you need to be having conversations about what your future is going to look like. And you need to be thinking through an intentional strategy for how those goals are going to come to fruition. You need to be talking about money. You need to be talking about Parenting and kids and discipline. You need to be talking about jobs and establishing goals for yourselves. Goals that glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. Because our primary purpose in this world is to glorify God. And the goals that we establish in our marriage should do just that. Here's what often happens. Here's what often happens. Man and a woman get married. And they're so in love. And they are talking about everything. And and it's like they start down this parallel track where they are just tracking together about everything. And you see from the picture just how close they are. As they're tracking along, as they're talking about stuff. But here's what happens often. I mean, I watch this all the time. First couple of years, you're just tracking right along. And then all of a sudden, the husband starts having a different purpose for his... Maybe it's because of a job, and he wants to make more money, and he wants to... I don't know. But he starts having a different purpose than the wife. And little by little, you see what happens. They start... Growing apart from each other. Because when you stop tracking along the same purposes and goals for your life and for your marriage, that's what happens. You grow apart. And that is a great picture of what a one-flesh relationship does not look like. If you want to experience a one-flesh relationship... Your purposes need to be aligned and stay aligned. And that means continuing to talk about where you are and where you're going and what you want to see happen in the future. So here's the question. Have you established some clear goals for your family that reflect a priority to glorify God in all things? Have you established some clear goals for your family that reflect a priority to... to glorify God in all things. Give yourself a grade. S. This is really four in one. These are four steps. That we need to. In the context of marriage. Be taking every single day. Serve. Thank. Encourage. And pray. Serve. Thank encourage, and pray. Husbands, every day, are you serving your wife? Are you thanking your wife? Are you encouraging your wife? Are you praying for and with your wife? Listen, if we, did, if we just did those four things alone every single day, husbands, it would change, it would change your marriage. Wives, serve, thank, encourage, pray, If we take those four steps, you're going to begin to experience more of what a one flesh relationship looks like. So here's the question. To what extent are you doing these four things every day? Maybe even that little acronym, just step, will be a reminder to you tomorrow to look for a way to serve one another and to thank one another and encourage one another and pray for one another. The last one, H. Honor the marriage bed. Honor the marriage bed. Here's what Hebrews chapter 13 verse 4 says. It says marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure. Now, lest there be any confusion, we're talking about sex here, all right? The honor, the marriage, bed. Would it surprise you? Would it surprise you to know that God wants husbands and wives to have an awesome sex life? I hope that that does not surprise you guys over here. You're probably surprised that I'm even talking about it from the pulpit. Yes, but I'm telling you right now, as you think about marriage, God wants husbands and wives to have an awesome sex life. All right? Now, we hear about sex in our culture all the time, and it usually has nothing to do with marriage. Nothing to do with marriage. And there's a lot of stuff that I could say about this, but I'm just going to say... A couple of things, all right? Number one, because I know that this is an issue not only in unbelieving homes and unbelievers lives, but is also an issue in believing homes and believing wives. Pornography has absolutely no place in the bedroom. If you are using pornography to fuel your sex life, then there are other problems that need to be addressed. If you're not married and you are using porn, then you are destroying your marriage even before it's even gotten started. Pornography has absolutely no place in a one flesh marriage relationship. And you need to begin to figure out how to eliminate that from your life right now. Second thing, you need... to stay away from tempting situations. For married people, for married people, you need to guard your relationships and stay away from situations where you're going to be vulnerable and exposed to the temptations that are just out there. Listen, I've, been, I've read some things this week. Another pastor... And we seem to be hearing about this often, but another pastor who I loved and respected his preaching, and you would have no idea who it is, even if I mentioned his name, but he wrote a blog post yesterday and told his followers and his church that he'd been having an adulterous relationship and he had discredited himself from ministry. He was very humble, he was very repentant, but he had sinned against God and sex had destroyed his marriage because he allowed himself to be put in a tempting situation. Listen, we as Christians, as pastors, we are not immune to the temptations that exist out there. And men, women, you need to avoid tempting situations because the enemy will get a hold of you and destroy what you have spent years building. If you're not married, you really need to avoid tempting situations. If you are not married... Listen, I know know that you are probably going to think that I am just a 60-year-old, old, old married, fuddy-duddy who is saying you shouldn't have sex before marriage, which you shouldn't. But that's not coming from me. That's coming from the Word of God. That's what the Word of God says. And there's a reason why God says that sex is reserved for marriage. And the reason, one of the reasons is this. God wants you to have an awesome sex life but he wants you to have it in the context of marriage because that's where you can experience what one fleshness really is. And I know the temptations. Believe me, it hasn't been that long when Linda and I experienced those temptations. You need to do everything that you can to avoid those situations where you're going to allow Satan to get the better of you because you want to experience 60 years of a one-flesh relationship that is awesome, not a few fleeting moments of pleasure. Well, that's enough. That's enough. Here's the question. Here's the question for this one. Married or unmarried, does the physical aspect of your relationship demonstrate purity and obedience to the Lord? Does the physical aspect of your relationship demonstrate purity and obedience to the Lord? I've just given you guys eight great conversations to have if you're married. Here's the the way I see this happening. If you've given yourself a grade on each one of those, just compare notes, husbands and wives, about what grade you give your cells and have a conversation. And let's say let's say that you gave yourself the grade, a grade of 6. Okay, don't worry that it's not a 10. Don't worry that it's not a 10. But have a conversation and talk about how can we make it a 7? How can we just take one or two simple steps to make it better? And then 3 months down the road, how can we make it an 8? Just have some conversations and let God use some of these principles to help you to have a one flesh, awesome relationships. Okay, so look, I'm assuming right now that some of your toes are hurting and that is a good thing. There you go. It is a good thing that some of your toes are hurting right now. Because it means this. It means this. Number one, it means that perhaps you have been listening. Number two, it also means that the Holy Spirit is trying to get your attention. And the Holy Spirit is working in your life. And the question then becomes, what are you going to do about it? Now, we started off talking at the beginning about a tale of two weddings. One wedding that lasted, I think it was 15 years, but it was never a good wedding. Another wedding that is 37 years on Wednesday and going strong. But there's a tale of a third wedding that I want to just remind you of and close up with. In Revelation chapter 19, verse 6, band, if you guys want to come on up. In Revelation 19, verse 6, the scripture says this, Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Alleluia, for the Lord our God are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. There is another great wedding that is going to take place. And I hope you are looking forward to that. And I hope that you are going to be a part of that. And the only way to be a part of it is to be an invited guest. Is to have trusted Jesus. Is to have put your faith in Him. And then you're invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb and you'll get to experience a wedding feast like you have never experienced before. We're getting ready to sing the Revelation song. And I hope as you sing this song, you think about not only your own marriage or your marriage to come, but also the great marriage feast that we're going to have the opportunity to be a part of in glory, Stand with me as I pray for us. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the chance that we have to exalt the name of Christ. And thank you that you have designed marriage for us to experience not only companionship in this life, but to know you better because of who you provide us with in this life. Lord, thank you for what you are doing in our lives through Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.